Hello everyone and welcome along to the latest edition of the Sport Huddle, brought to you by Leeds Hospital Radio Sports. Um, my name's Ian Marsden and tonight we're joined by Tony Chalk, Alan Breeze and Richard Bell making his long-awaited return to the huddle. And uh, we'll be covering local football, our teams having, uh, let's just say, differing um, outcomes to their matches recently. Um, we'll chat cricket. Yorkshire um, got washed out, but they are playing in the championship this week. And a bit about the World Snooker as well and um, what uh, what happened there the other night with the Just Stop Oil, which obviously Just Stop Oil and Snooker do go hand in hand. And uh, we'll um, have a little mention of the Rhinos as well before we go to our... <coughs> Sporting moments of the week. So, Tony, I'm I'm sorry. I'm really I'm sorry. We're going to have to start with Leeds United, um, and their um, performance in inverted commas on Monday night against Liverpool, a team who hadn't won away um, in um, a while. Um, they hadn't scored a goal against any team below the top six away from home all season. Um, and they beat Leeds 6-1. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering whether I ought to go and do a bit of gardening before uh, it gets too dark. <laughs> but I suppose we've got to address it, haven't we? Yeah, um, I, yeah. I did uh, I did watch the match, as I think you did, Ian. Um, yeah. And uh, I suppose for the first 20, 25 minutes, was it something like that? Um, there were reasonable hopes that something might might come out of it um and they were unlucky with the first goal i mean uh, quite yes. what var is for i'm not sure to be honest because uh, no. uh, i thought it was an absolutely blatant uh, handball in the build-up so uh, uh to, to my mind it shouldn't have been allowed but uh, but the way to respond to it is not then to concede again within about three or four minutes afterwards and two nil um before half time and Let's be honest, the game was up then. I don't think any of us uh, really had any great hopes. They flickered slightly after half-time when the, um, the Liverpool defender dawdled and Sinistera picked his pocket and uh, slotted it in uh, and got them back to 2-1 straight after half-time. You thought, oh, well, possibly there's a way back. Uh, but then again, they conceded very quickly afterwards. And after that, I'm afraid it was as embarrassing as the, uh, as the Crystal Palace game. Uh, every time Liverpool attacked, you almost expected them to score. Um, yeah. And quite how uh, a professional team at that level can defend so badly. I mean, I wouldn't claim to be an expert uh, on, on association football at all. But, but even I can see that some of that defending, I mean, I would have thought schoolboy teams would have been uh, yeah. disappointed yeah. with it. It was shocking. And, and, and quite what the, uh, what, what, what the manager uh, must have been thinking on the touchline I, I've no idea. He must have been scratching his head and thinking, what, what on earth have I got into here? Um, it was dreadful. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I mean, if what we've seen in these last two games against Palace and uh, uh, against Liverpool, when they've conceded 11 goals, um, almost in, in sort of a, a, a game and a half, because the, the first Palace yeah. goal in, in the first match was just before half time. So uh, 11 goals in, uh, what, 135 minutes of football. Uh, and, and two in reply is, is just dire. Um, and in la- unless things improve immediately, um, you can see nothing else but uh, but, but relegation. Uh, they've, they've got Fulham, obviously, on Saturday. 
their form has dipped, although they did win last time out. But um, but but their form had. I think they'd lost something like four on the trot before that. Uh, after a very good season up till now. And then next week, uh, of course, on Tuesday, crucial game against Leicester City. Uh, and I think I, I would go so far as to say that if they do not beat Leicester next Tuesday, they will be relegated. Uh, I, I've no doubt in my own mind about that at all, whatever happens at Fulham on, uh, on Saturday. Um, but at the moment, I mean, you've got to say, uh, looking at that table, that it, there were nine teams looking as though they were in the mix not long ago. It's probably down to five now, I would think, um, with the way results have gone. I think you look at the bottom three, Leicester, um, uh, Southampton, obviously, Forest, and then Everton and Leeds. And, and, and I think the rest will be safe. Um, so, but Leeds' form is just so wretched at the moment. It don't look good, Ian. No, it doesn't. I think the one shining light in this is that the four teams below Leeds are actually in worse form than Leeds. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, I know I may be clutching at uh, those straws over there, but um, mm. you, you've got to take anything, really. Um, the fact that Leeds' goal difference was yeah. actually almost an extra Good. point for mm. them in, mm. in terms of staying up. But now, not, now. Yeah. not now their goal difference mm. is minus 20, and that's what a nine-goal yeah. swing can do for you in, in one week. Um, Richard, I'll bring you in right now. Looking at the bottom of the Premier League, um, it does seem like um, Tony is, I think, yeah, three from five. Can you see um, the bottom three going as it is, or Leeds and Everton may fall into that? Well, the first first part of the answer is to say to you, I can see any any Southampton, I think, are gone. I just don't think they've got it. Um, two of the other four, I think, are likely to go. Um, but the big question I've got is, looking back at the stats, how many times did Jesse March lose 5-1 or 6-1 at home? You know, it's back to the classic. How many teams improve when you sack the manager at this stage in the season? He's using a squad that he hasn't uh, had any input on. And also, I'm not sure, and I take Tony's point, the defending was amateur, but it's the way the manager chooses to set up the defensive formations. Ilian Meslier has just had, in those two games, um, it's rather like you've got a bunch of panzer tanks from the Second World War coming at you, and all you've got is you standing there with a little rifle going, can I stop this? Um, you know, it really... I think the club board uh, and the owner have a lot to answer for with the, the fact that look at the look at the past record of changing managers at that stage in the season. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not saying Marsh was a good manager. Forget that. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just saying the change is absolutely killing. And it shows that Southampton, Leicester. 
Everton and Leeds have all changed their manager this season and are four of the bottom five. Um, the Forest owner has wanted to sack or get rid of Cooper in a long time, but he knows that the backlash from the fans would just not be worth it. So that's why Steve Cooper's mm. still in the job, but I don't expect mm. him to see the summer. But it just shows you. I think it's. I think it's a great point um, that changing manager does not equal staying up because um, you need the players. Um, and Leeds, Leeds have a couple of really good players, but they're not a team. Um, and especially spending thirty-five million on a on a mm-hmm. on a number ten who, um, I mean. From what I've seen, can barely trap a ball, let alone score the goals that warrant thirty-five million pound being spent on you. So, um, but Ian, can I come, Ian, could I come in with a slightly uh, provocative point here? Oh, unlike you. Um, unlike, unlike myself. Um, <laughs> um, surely there's going to be two, at least two managers. Uh, out of the bottom five, they're all new to the job, who aren't going to be relegated. Surely that proves yeah. that you've got a 50% chance of staying up if you change your manager. Uh, Alan, I will refer you to an article in the Times about swapping your manager in the middle of the season. Uh, it's in there today. I'll let you go and read it. And the ones who survive will be the lucky ones. Let's hope it it doesn't apply to to Neil Warnock at Huddersfield. Well, Mm. uh, don't get me on to the subject of why would anybody employ (laughs) Neil Warnock? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm going to step in here. (laughs) Um, There's hope for me to become... (laughs) <laughs> a manager in the, in the championship now. Absolutely. Mr. Warnock at the age of 74, 75. Boy, yeah, in fact, Alan's only just coming to being past his sell-by date for that job. Yeah. Well, they're, they're talking about Houghton um, being an advisor to Crystal Palace uh, for next season. Hodgson. Hodgson, sorry. Yeah. Hodgson. Mm. Wow. Well, he's he's 70, I think he's 76. <laughs> yeah. There's hope for us all, Tony. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but he's, fundam- he's, fundamentally, he's a good manager. I, 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 I pass on Warnock. He's great for getting teams up from the championship to the premiership. But actually, if you look at his premiership record, it's pretty appalling. Yeah. Neil Warnock, you're talking there, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's got, I think, four teams promoted to the to the top flight, and um, they've all gone back down pretty much the first season up there. So yeah, yeah, his record getting there is amazing, but his record of staying there is um, very poor indeed. But before we leave Leeds, I just want one word answers from from the three of you, Alan. That's one word. Um, will Leeds United stay up? Uh, a simple yes or no, Alan. Yes. Richard? No. Tony? Yeah, 2-1 to the nose, I think. Okay. Yes, it's not looking good, and that's what a 
combined score of 11-2 in your last two home games can kind of do to you. Um, Leeds versus Fulham on Saturday lunchtime. If you're in hospital, we will have full match commentary from um, Steve Fountain and um, his brother, Ian. Um, and they'll be there at Craven Cottage for Saturday half past 12 kickoff on Saturday lunchtime. Um, for those of you who are still in hospital. Right, we'll just nip across to the championship and uh, talk about uh, said Neil Warnock and said Huddersfield Town, who are on um, a really good run at the moment, one defeat in seven. Um, they've pulled themselves out of the mire. They are 20th, one point above the bottom three, um, and they have to play two of the teams in and around them um, in the next three games. So they have to play Cardiff and they have to play Reading as well. So it is very much in Huddersfield's own hands. Um, and yeah, despite what we've been saying, the appointment of Neil Warnock seems like a masterstroke, Richard. Yes, but you know, yes for self-preservation, but what is what is he actually doing for the team? It's... Uh, it's functional Warnock football. Um, and he's been blessed with a side that have a reasonable uh, goal difference. And it had a reasonable goal difference when he arrived. Um, I, I just, you know, I applaud them for choosing him and giving themselves a chance of avoiding relegation. But when you look at the bottom five or six or even seven there, including Rotherham. Yep. Reading are you know, Reading wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the uh, irregularities. And in fact I think they might well save themselves. When you look at the Queen's Park Rangers side man on man with uh, Huddersfield Town, um I if they hadn't lost all their confidence, I would have fancied them to uh, to get out of it. Cardiff City have good results and bad results, like it's going out of fashion. Um, but when they have a good result, it's a very good result. I don't think anybody should be confident that Huddersfield are going to get away with it. And I really don't understand why they're where they are after the previous few seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've been, they've been, right. So I think last summer they got let down by Carlos Corbran because he resigned literally within a week or two of the season starting. <laughs> so then they appointed um, a novice um, in uh, Schofield and he lasted, I think it was nine games or 11 games. Then they brought in another novice um, following him who uh, I think he lost the dressing room quite a bit. And so then they appointed Warnock in, um, was it February? I think it was. Um, and basically it was almost like Dean Hoyle saying, look, Neil, just come and get me out of this hole. Um, and he has done amazingly well because I think Huddersfield were rock bottom at one point and uh, are now fifth bottom. So he has done a great job, but yeah, it's still very, very tight. 
down. And I, um, sorry, sorry, Ian. Mm-hmm. I think it is poor boardroom decisions yeah. because if you're in a situation where somebody's resigned, you've appointed a novice. Nobody in their right mind, when you're in a hole, puts a novice in to dig you out. No. You, that was the point where they should have got Warnock or somebody else who yeah. got some experience. Yeah. And I don't think the football they play is anything more than survival. Um, and I'm sure the fans would like to survive, but they'd actually like to see the play slightly differently. Yeah, I think at the moment it's survival, no matter what, isn't it? Because yeah. they don't want to be in League One next year, so I don't think they... It's results at the end of the day that matter the most at the moment. Um, Alan, have you seen Huddersfield recently? And um, and what are your thoughts on, on, on town staying up? I have seen them recently, not not very recently. Uh, I've seen them on television and I've been impressed by their grit. Um, just, just going back to this recurring theme here, um, would you run your company like this, Leeds United, uh, if it were me now, Huddersfield Town? No. You, you go through, uh, you know, there's a naivety of business knowledge, uh, and particular knowledge about football. Um, I wouldn't say that say the lunatics have quite taken over the asylum throughout the English Football League, um, but <laughs> there's a chapter of clubs here um and i wouldn't employ any of them but uh, that's that's maybe for another day coming back to the specifics of huddersfield what really strikes me is i whenever i go to huddersfield there's probably a gap of a couple of months between one game and another and i turn up and i say i've never heard of half of these players uh could somebody tell me who they are <laughs> um and you just can't keep chopping and changing a side like that Four managers in a season. You can't run a business like that. Um, it's a shambles. And oh, frankly, all credit to Neil Warnock if he, he keeps them, uh, keeps them up. It is very much about survival. He's not here for a five year plan. He's here to bail them out this year. Let's not forget how unlucky they were to lose to not, not, sorry, not, watch your mouth there, not Forest <laughs> in the, in the playoff yes, final. <laughs> Uh, this time last year, I think the and presenters it, about uh, the resigner. <laughs> Huddersfield should should have been in in the Premiership at this yeah. point. It, it's it's just gross bad management of running a business stroke football club. Yes, no, and no, sadly, no, I, yeah. sadly, Dean Hoyle has exhibited over most of his tenure all the attributes of somebody who believed in stability, believed in being absolutely behind his managers all the way through. Unfortunately, Dean himself uh, suffered from illness and has not been the the hand on the tiller for some time. But I I know the point you're making, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll leave Huddersfield there because Huddersfield don't have a game uh, this weekend, and in fact, don't play for uh, a while um, till their next game because Sheffield United are in the FA Cup semi-final this Saturday, and so Huddersfield don't have a game. So we'll we'll zoom across uh, the 62 over to Bradford, 
and Bradford, who lost their first game in um, well, what seemed like forever um, on midweek, but have a chance to bounce back on Saturday at home to Gillingham, who um, beat Leighton Orient, even though Leighton Orient then went and won promotion the same evening. So um, crazy scenes. But um, yeah, Bradford, um, Tony, uh, League Two. It's uh, it's it's a wild ride down there. Um, and um, Bradford are five points adrift of automatic promotion, um, but are only two points um, a, a basic in the playoffs. So the teams below them are, are only two points clear of them, Salford and Mansfield. So it's it's tight. <laughs> it's um, but they do seem good enough to be in the playoffs at least. Yeah, it was a surprise, wasn't it, when they they, they lost uh, the the other day to uh, to Swindon? But uh, yeah, yeah, they, I mean they have got a game in hand, haven't they, on um, the three teams around them, sort of thing in that in that sort of yes. playoff group from four to seven, which which helps. Um, so yeah, you feel that they are good enough to to get in the playoffs. I, th- I think losing that match probably means that automatic promotion is going to be a a step too far now. It's difficult to see the top three sort of um, uh, collapsing completely, really. Well, certainly not Orient, obviously, but Northampton and Stevenage. Um, so it looks as though it will be the playoffs. But, yeah, I think they should certainly be good enough to get there. Uh, Gillingham uh, spent most of the season actually struggling against relegation down at the bottom. Yes. I've been keeping an eye on their, on their results because of the, the Harrogate situation, but they've, they've pulled clear of that now. But even so, Bradford should be good enough to beat them. As we know, they've, they've had sort of too many draws, especially at home, haven't they, against sides they really should have beaten. Yes. So let's hope that, th- that this isn't another one. But, yeah, I, I, I would expect Bradford to win uh, on Saturday and I would expect them to get into the playoffs, certainly. Yeah. Um, Alan, um, League Two, you support a team that's actually in that league as well. It is... Um, it's it's basically the team that is the most consistent will 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 win through in the end, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, very much late Orient. and uh, yeah, that was yeah. bizarre. They uh, they, they were playing at Gillingham, losing two 0 the, the floodlights went off, and before they got back um, to play the rest of the game, uh, Bradford went down to Swindon. So when when Leighton Orient came back. Uh, on the playing surface, the first thing was to jump up and down and congratulate each other for having got promotion. They were two nil down and went on to lose two nil. But um, there's a look at it. Look at it uh, online. It's quite funny. Um, yeah. Bradford, I think, have slowly come together. Um, the problem's been all along that um, Andy Cook's the only person who scores any goals. I think uh, I was on commentary uh, for a couple of recent games and he'd scored um, half the goals. And I think the next highest uh, scorer in the side had scored four goals in the season. Um, he didn't score against Swindon, but might have done. Um, I thought that they'd put a good run together and wasn't expecting them to lose at Swindon. And I thought they might sneak into the automatic but I think Tony's already made the point that, that, that that's a bridge too far now um, let's very much hope so but Gillingham and O'Muggs they spend a lot of money uh, when they were in trouble near the bottom um, local benefactors pumped some money in and they bought quite a lot of players um, so it'll be no, no walkover uh, on Saturday when they play Gillingham and um, the last game is 
at home to um, the mighty late Norian we're talking about. Uh, we've got commentary on both Saturday and the late Norian game on the 8th of May. Let's hope they've got promotion in the bag or certainly in the playoffs by then. They're a good, solid side. And Mark Hughes, despite signing an awful lot of players, has finally got them playing as, as a team that look as though they can play at a high level. Definitely. Um, a quick mention for Harrogate Town. Um, they're away at Northampton on Saturday, which is a very tough game. Um, Harrogate are six points clear of the dreaded dotted line at the moment um, and have a game in hand on everybody around them. Um, but it's going to be a tough ask on Saturday away at Northampton, who are one of the teams gunning for automatic promotion. And I think if Northampton do win that game, uh, they will actually clinch automatic promotion um, as well. So um, Harrogate will have everything um, against them on Saturday by the looks of that. Um, We will have live commentary, as Alan said, on Saturday of Bradford against Gillingham. So a double header for you in hospital on Saturday. Leeds away at Fulham and then Bradford at home to Gillingham straight afterwards. So... um, some entertainment for you there with Alistair Kirkpatrick and Kane Hall in situ at Valley Parade. Um, Just a, a so, quick word on, on, on Harrogate, by the way. Um, yeah. Before, before we move on, uh, Ian. Um, they, uh, as you say, they go to Northampton. Of course, uh, they, they went to Orient a couple of weeks ago and uh, got a 2-2 draw. So uh, don't write them off. But they got a crucial win against Walsall. Uh, and yes. They um, now, as you said, they've got a game in hand on the rest. Now, the two below them play each other on Saturday. Hartlepool play Crawley. Um, so some, somebody's got to get some points out of that. But mm. basically, if you look at it, with Harrogate's goal difference, they need one win from those last four matches uh, to be safe, I would say. Um, yeah. uh, and their last match, of course, the last match of the season is at home to Rochdale, who are rock bottom. So I would say that Harrogate are, are looking uh, are looking okay now after a pretty wobbly season. And there, I suppose, is is an example of a a club that is extremely stable. Um, they've stuck with the same manager, uh, and it looks as though they'll stay up. Uh, but of course, he is the son of the owner, so maybe that has a bit to do. With that. <laughs> that might help. That might help. But Harrogate Town are are punching way above their weight, uh, being yeah, in League absolutely. Two, let alone anything else. So. Um, yeah, I think that's what stability brings you. I think Simon Weaver has been manager there for a good, good, like six, seven year now, maybe oh, even longer. longer than that. I think he's the longest serving manager in the league now, isn't he? Wow. Um, and... uh, by some distance, actually. I mean, I think it probably was Gareth Ainsworth uh, before, but of course he's left Wickham now. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's been there a long, long time. Yeah. Are we saying on this programme... Vive nepotism. <laughs> well, I couldn't possibly comment. Yeah, you, maybe, but then maybe not. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. So we're, we'll move from football onto cricket. The cricket season's in full swing. And Yorkshire are away, down in Hove, actually, um, against Sussex. Um Day one, Sussex are 275 for five um, on the first day. Um, Yorkshire lost one and then washed out the next one. Um, Richard, thoughts on the early stages of the season? 
Well, quite frankly, if you're not good enough to beat Leicestershire, you deserve to be in the uh, in Division Two. You know, quite frankly, it was. Uh, I wasn't there. I'm sure that Tony and Alan did some commentary on it, but. Uh, you know, to score as many runs as they did, set a target the way they did and not be able to either force the win or at least defend it for a draw. I'm I'm not uh, not convinced about them. And I thought the washout against Gloucester was their uh, best possible chance of getting uh, five points out of the game. But then maybe I'm being nasty. But you see, today. They they were all over uh, Sussex from the reports early in the game. Then Allsop got 95, and then his partner went on to make quite a few and is still not out. And they've ended up with, you know, two wickets putting on 200-odd runs. You know, maybe I've got that wrong, Alan. You'll correct me, no doubt. Well, it wasn't. Quite as many as that, but uh, yeah, there, at lunchtime there was something like 107 for two, um, and then they got a couple of quick wickets uh, uh, in the afternoon session, um, and eventually, uh, as um, Ian said, finished two seven five for five. Bad light, um, um, bad light. It's it's um, it's a shame that. The floodlights uh, don't seem to work. But anyway. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah so I, I, I expect, actually, after those comments uh, that you've made, Richard, I, I would expect an email to, to come flying our way from one James Walker tomorrow um, after the suggestion that if you can't beat Leicestershire, you can't beat anybody. <laughs> I think if I remember, Mr Chalk, it was 109 years since we last lost to Leicestershire at home. 113. That's just at Headingley, actually, Richard, and, and we would have played uh, Leicestershire at various other grounds, obviously, because, as you know, Yorkshire used to play at many more grounds than just Headingley. So it, it was just Headingley. So I can certainly remember them playing them at uh, Scarborough and Bradford and things like that. So um, yeah. it's probably not quite as bad as it sounds. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the predictions of what was going to happen in the second in, uh, division, uh, certainly in the Cricketer magazine, uh, the uh, experts predicted that Yorkshire would be first and Leicestershire would be bottom. So uh, it's not exactly a good start. Could I just add perhaps one or two things? I was on commentary, as Richard uh, suggested. Um, it wasn't a problem with bad cricket. It was a b- problem with bad mathematics. Um, Yorkshire had a first innings lead of 100, uh, uh, over 100, Decided to go all out on the morning of the last day, and quite rightly. But um, when they declared, I said they must be mad. They they should have gone at least two more overs uh, before declaring. Had they done that, it would have been at worst a draw. Um, so bad math, bad maths, bad maths, not not bad cricket. Uh, although um, Bess, who was awful in the first innings bowling. Took five wickets in the in the second inning. So um, who knows? Those extra uh, runs and and the the fewer um, overs to be bowled. Yorkshire may well have got away with that if the maths had been better. Um, 
at the start of today's game, Yorkshire were actually bottom of the county championship mm. before the 48-point allegedly penalty. So um, it could be worse, uh, Richard. We could be on minus um, 30 or something um, when the ECB do finally um, uh, give the punishment, whatever it might be, to Yorkshire. Uh, and we, we could be playing minor counties uh, next year. <laughs> That would be a fascinating concept. It would. The, the, I, I saw a bit of the, uh, the the game. I was I was there on the uh, the th- day three, the Saturday in the afternoon, uh, when Yorkshire was singularly failing to bowl out the Leicestershire tail, and uh, I must say that set the alarm bells ringing for me. That um, there was no sign of the pitch starting to, to, to deteriorate, and uh, I did seriously question whether the Yorkshire would be able to bowl them out on the last day. Uh, so I suppose the thing was, Alan, that they had to give themselves long enough if they were trying to to win the match. Uh, and if uh, I mean, I, I saw some comments that some people were chuntering that they should have declared earlier than they did, which uh, I I didn't agree with. Not being there on the last day, I mean, I was probably slightly more in your camp actually, thinking that the rate that runs had been scored on that pitch during the match, that um, uh, they, they probably should have set them something a little a little bit more testing than they actually did. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Um, uh, just um, that's Division Two of the County Championship we're talking there. Um, I just watched uh, Ben Duckett score a century for Nottinghamshire <laughs> at Lords against Middlesex and uh, not doing really well in the... That would be in the first division as well, would it? That would yeah. be the first division yeah. of the County yeah. Championship. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Ian, just a quick... Ian, just a quick question for you. Uh, how many of the current Knots uh, first team are actually developed and coached and brought up in the the Knots um, school of cricket? Or, I mean, uh, brought everybody in, moment. like Duckett and, and Broad and all of the others? Yeah, two or three at the moment. And Stuart Broad um, was um, with Knots and then went to Leicestershire. So, yeah. Um, and then came back. Um, so... But yeah, there's a couple of them in the first team who have got their county caps. Because I think, is it different with Yorkshire or is it different with each county? But Nottingham should give their county caps when they make their debut. No, no Yorkshire don't. No, no, no. No. No, Yorkshire award your cap when they award your cap, which is on the recommendation of captain, cricket manager, whatever, I would think. Oh, OK. Well, Fair dues. Or if you're an overseas player because uh, you've signed a yeah, contract. Yeah, yeah, you get it automatically if you're an overseas player, that's right. Yeah. The, there yeah, was a little quirk, um, if I may, uh, in the Yorkshire-Leicestershire uh, game where Ahmed, uh, the promising spin bowler, leg spin bowler of Leicester, actually got his England cap and doesn't have a Leicestershire cap. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I think that that did that happen with all those years back with Closey as well. I suspect. Yeah, I suspect he did. got his England cap before his Yorkshire cap. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. You learn something every day on this program, so keep on listening. Um, we're going to nip across to Sheffield now for the World Ch- uh, World Snooker Championships. Um, it's um, it's on BBC. It's on Eurosport. They're showing loads of it. Actually, it seems like a lot more than what they used to. Um, but there was a an incident in the, in the week when protesters uh, got onto the table and um, put what looked what well, what is an orange substance um, over the green bays. Um, the other person was trying to um, 
glue themselves to the table but got stopped um guys did any of you watch it live or have you seen it and um what what is what is going on in the world at the moment the fact that people are protesting about stopping oil at the snooker <laughs> well <laughs> i mean we could we, I, we could talk about this for uh, the rest of the evening i suspect but um yeah. I mean, basically, they're trying to get publicity for their cause and they're trying to do things to shock people uh, to, 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 to make their point. Um, the, the slightly uh, dubious thing really is that, I mean, I, I would think most I'm, I'm a scientist. I was trained as a scientist um, uh, and therefore I accept the science that tells us that we need to do something. Uh, about global warming and a lot of it's down to um, using too many fossil fuels yeah. so um, it's not a great idea to keep using more and more oil and more and more coal and things like that the whole thing is slightly complicated I mean we're getting into the realms of politics here really aren't we I suppose the whole thing is slightly common to, uh, uh, complicated by the fact that you've got a murdering autocrat who's decided to start a war in Europe and who has um, the, uh, the, the the finger on a lot of the um, uh, resources uh, of oil and gas. So that, that sort of makes everybody twitchy. Um, the, what it comes down to really is um, how many people are going to change their views uh, about uh, uses of fossil fuels based on people sort of tying themselves to fences at the Grand National and putting rubbish on a, on a snooker table. Uh, and, and they're not. I mean, I, people like me, I, I, this sort of sl slightly makes me think the other way. Well, to hell with this. I'm, I'm going to carry on and use my car yeah. and whatever. I, I think that what they're doing, the tactics are, are totally wrong. They're going to alienate people. What they need to do is make the argument. Uh, and if they make the argument, we can all have a sensible discussion about it and hopefully get to uh, a more sensible place than, than we are at the moment. But um, uh, I think they are defeating their own argument by the tactics they're using. I think so. It was like last season, one of them tied himself to the goalpost on a Monday night football game at Everton. Um, and then this, the snooker, and like you say, the protesters at the Grand National at the weekend as well. It just seems nothing is um, nothing is without its uh, people can get there and stuff. Um, Richard, are you a snooker fan yourself? Did you Did you see it? I went and looked it up afterwards, but it's like a lot of these things. The reason that people do it is it will reach the front page of the newspapers if it's done at something that is big and significant. And yeah. quite frankly, Monday Night Football Everton is not going to be page one. The World Snooker Championship at the Crucible, although it's a minority sport in every, but there are a huge number of people in this country who have dipped into it, dipped out of it, and also are totally aware that, you know, between Easter and uh, May Day, May Day, that's when the tournament takes place. Yeah. You know, and it does optimize or maximize. I think it maximizes their publicity. I don't think it optimizes the message. But actually, you know, um, I really don't want to get into too much of a debate about it. Other, otherwise, we'll talk about the ludicrous situation where Extinction Rebellion are going to supposedly police the London Marathon 
basically to stop just for oil causing chaos. You know, <laughs> so you've got two protest groups who can't get their act together. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Um, thank you for your input there, guys. I um, appreciate that. It, yeah, it, it is political. It is. Um, we could go on all nine. It could be its own episode in its thing. But I just wanted to bring it up because it was like the one person who took the orange stuff sat there on the table and then thought like, well, why have I not been caught yet? I'm still here. He didn't know what else to do. It was, um, yeah, it was just weird. Um, we haven't really got much time left. Um, I've gone way over already. Um, so I'm going to get another slap on the wrist from the chairman. Um, so we'll go on to sporting moment of the week. The Rhinos beat Hull last week and are playing Lee Leopards away this week. And the Rhinos are doing all right, actually. And we all, we all think they will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Um, but we'll chat more about them next week. Um, so sporting moment of the week. Um, Alan, yours first. Yeah, well, this is a serious one. Um, I watched the golf uh, at the weekend uh, in the States and saw Matt Fitzpatrick from Sheffield. Uh, previously, he's already won the uh, US Open and he's uh, played in the Ryder Cup. Really, really good guy. Um, as a result of what he did at the weekend, he's now gone up to number eight in the world. And well done to the young Yorkshire lad. Well, he's 27, so he's not that young. But um, they got to uh, a situation that uh, with six holes to play, it was a, really a two-horse race. Then Fitzpatrick went two shots behind, pulled it all back, all square, three extra playoff holes, Fitzpatrick hits this eight iron, the same shot or the same club that he used to win the US Open, and he stuck a 150-yard eight iron about four inches from the flag. Game over. Well done, Matt. It was great. And all around him, this the cries of USA, USA as the drunkenness uh, came in from our American uh, spectator friends. Uh, well done, Matt, and uh, keep it up. Absolutely. And uh, he might have another reason to celebrate with his beloved Sheffield United almost winning promotion to the Premier League. Richard, what's uh, your sporting moment of the week, sir? My sporting moment is an 18-year-old who first came to my notice when she was 16. And I'd, I'd heard about the twins, but uh, uh, Jessica Garderova winning three gold medals at the European Championship. She's the first British um, gymnast to do it. And I say British because even though her parents are both Azerbaijani, she was already, a, uh, her parents were already British citizens when they went to do three months work out in Ireland and she was born in Dublin, but she's very, um, in inverted commas, English, but I'll talk about it as Great Britain because, um, uh, or the UK, but I think it's Great Britain for the gymnastics for some reason. Um, you know, it's an absolutely wonderful performance. Um, and, um, you know, good luck to her. And her only comment afterwards basically was, 
well, I've got to work on the other disciplines to make sure I can win gold medals in those. But it wasn't quite put like that. But the attitude was, you know, um, and we won a team gold as part of those three that she she won. So that's my sporting moment of the week. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Richard. And Tony, um, we'll end up with you, sir. Well, I, I'd just like to congratulate Alan on describing my sporting moment of the week so uh, eloquently a little bit <laughs> earlier. The only uh, comment I would make is that I thought it might have been a nine iron rather than an eight iron. Uh, but I, I will, um, uh, I, I will, I will just offer you, offer you something else. Uh, and I'd also underline uh, Richards as well. Actually, that, that's a, that's a very good one. Um, uh, I'd just uh, give, maybe give a couple of brief ones from the snooker. Then um, uh, Karen Wilson, of course, uh, got a one four seven break the other day. I think he's the ninth to do that um, at the Crucible. Uh, and then just this evening, actually, before we uh, before we came on on, on here, um, I was watching uh, the end of the, the first round match between Mark Selby and Matt Selt, uh, which Selby had been ahead in most of the way, but Selt had pulled it back to 9-8. Um, so it was, uh, it was into the last couple of frames. Uh, and Selby made a quite superb break of 119, one of the best I've ever seen. It was one of those breaks that every shot he played early on, he thought, oh, no, he's got another difficult shot here. Oh, no, he's got another difficult shot here. And he'd not been playing that consistently. Uh, and he played some really top-class shots under pressure um, uh, and uh, made the break of 119, clinched the match. And uh, the jester from Leicester is through to round two. Uh, he's already won four world championships. He's had some problems with his mental health in recent times. Let's hope that uh, he goes on to better things. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Tony, for that. And thank you very much to Tony, to Richard and to Alan for their input tonight. It's been uh, it's been a really good uh, chat and discussion about all our sporting topics in West Yorkshire and beyond. Um, just to remind you, we'll have full match commentary on Fulham against Leeds United on Saturday half 12 and then straight after that Bradford against Gillingham from 3 o'clock full match commentary on that as well so a double header on Saturday of football action to keep you entertained while you're um, in your hospital beds um, but the sooner you're out of those beds and back in to the world the better it is so um, thank you very much guys and um, we say goodbye and get well soon And thank you very much.